Oh, yeah. Sweet sounds of Jimi Hendrix just pulling us into another great unified CXM experience podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Grad Khan. I am the CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And today I've got a great guest. I love my guest shows. These are always my favorites. I'm super excited about today's because we're going to be talking about social selling, which is something I've been all over and been talking about for uh, a lot of years. And so it's just great to be able to spend a whole show on that today. Uh, so let me introduce Dennis Matthew. He's the he's a social media and digital marketing consultant, and he's worked for companies like IBM, MasterCard, and Bank of Montreal. And he's a real innovator and leader in this whole area of social selling, especially as it applies to financial services. So, Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me here. And you're coming here from to us from Toronto today, or actually Mississauga, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> My Sciences A-U-G-A. That's how I learned to spell that when I was a kid. I lived in Mississauga. <laughs> I, learned, I learned to play hockey in Mississauga. I lived in Mississauga for many years uh, as a kid. My, my parents moved there from New York. Uh, and, uh, my dad was working at J Walter Thompson and, uh, we lived in Mississauga and it was a, it was a great time in my life. Great time to be a kid and, you know, a street full of kids playing street hockey and, oh gosh, it was just wonderful suburban life in the 1970s. Um, probably a little bit different now, but how long have you lived in Mississauga? Close to about 15 years now. So, but a lot has changed. Uh, the city has changed a lot from those days. I, I don't see street hockey. Is there still a, still a Sheridan Mall? There is. And I believe they're going through a big uh, renovation right now. <laughs> really? So I used to go to the Sheridan Mall with my mom and we get a hot dog at the uh, little hot dog stand there. And I remember um, there was a movie theater in there. I remember Planet of the Apes opened there. I was like, I wanted to see it so badly, but my parents wouldn't let me see it because it was apparently too scary. But Sheridan Mall was great. And there was a Dominion there. And we used to shop there. And my favorite part of it is that the groceries would go on this conveyor belt and the groceries would go on the conveyor belt into the back of the store. Then you'd pull your car around and they'd put your groceries into your car for you. It was like so amazing. Like we talk about customer experience all the time. And I, I keep hearkening back to things that happened a long time ago as being great customer experiences. And I wonder what happened to them all. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about social selling. So when we, when we go in the forward machine here and get from the, instead of the way back machine. And then uh, let's talk for a second about what social selling is. So why don't we define it? So why don't you just like lay down a definition uh, you know, see so your elevator pitch is kind of the clarity around what it is. So people know what, in fact, we're talking about today. A lot of times social selling gets confused with a lot of other stuff. In a nutshell, it's building relationships for sales or nurturing leads for sales using social channels. A lot of times uh, people are active on social but it's not done with a deliberate intention of either generating leads or nurturing your sorry your audiences or growing your uh, uh, network and social selling is that deliberate process through which you do every activity with the intention of ending up getting a lead or a sale if if i were to de define it it would be social selling is the process of developing relationships as part of this entire sales process and using uh, tools like facebook instagram twitter linkedin the works okay 
And if someone's a, if someone's a great social seller, what would that look like? Or what would that mean to you? And someone says, man, that person's amazing at social selling. What kind of things would they be doing? How would you see that they were a great social seller? So like in the, in the traditional space where you wouldn't want someone to cold call you or cold calling is kind of dead. Like, you know, in this day and age, you really need to warm up your leads. A good social seller is not someone who sends you a connection request on LinkedIn. And the next thing he does, he or she does is, hey, by the way, uh, I'm a salesperson for this. It's actually engaging or interacting with your connection. So reaching out is on social is probably replaced the cold calling bit. But then the entire process of adding value, uh, engaging, having conversations on social, and then making it natural to flow through to a process where you show your value and show your expertise and your thought leadership and then create that space to uh, actually make a sale. So social selling is that entire process. It's not that one-off thing where you reach out to a contact and expect it to close, but it's actually nurturing that whole relationship. So I get that and I understand that. But, you know, if I look at my LinkedIn inbox, which I have in front of me right now, that is not what's happening in there, right? I'm getting connection requests and I'm, I'm a very liberal connection request acceptor and I am um, I'm a vicious connection request unacceptor when they abuse them. Decliner. So yeah, so I always take the, <laughs> I always take the attitude of, I assume good intent from everybody. And so I don't spend a lot of time reviewing everyone because just it's, I don't have time for that. So I accept pretty much every connection request, like 20,000 LinkedIn connections now. But if somebody like starts to like be a badly behaved, chippity choppity, they're out of there. You're out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like funny because yeah. most of them are kind of not that bad. Most of them say things like, here's a guy which is like, you know, hi, grad. Thanks for connecting. I love to find 20 minutes for proper introduction for the company he's talking about. I don't respond. So then he writes me, hi, grad. Hope you're doing well. Let's find 15 minutes over the next week. So he's like, John, if I keep waiting, it'll be 10 minutes, five minutes. Do you have a minute? Um, but it's like, but I don't even really know what they do. It's just, it's like, I would have to go to his I don't know, profile research is like, why would he, there's no value here. And this is just a, like one of my top messages, you know, it's uh, and the, the, my other one is, is the, the once more. It's like, did you read my mail or I must be gotten lost in spam or I, I really think you should be, I was like, mm, no, I'm actually ignoring you because you're not giving me any value. And I don't feel complied to respond to your out of the blue message just because you, because you sent me a cold call out of the blue, why does that create an obligation on my part to get back to you? It doesn't, right? And so that's the, I had the, I'll give you one more example, the worst one of these. So there's so much of what I see is like the opposite of what I would think social selling would be. And, you know, I'm very easy to connect with socially. I'm into all sorts of cool stuff like Legos and rockets and Star Wars. Like I'm not a confusing person to connect with. And nobody does it. Nobody connects with me that way. It blows my mind. My favorite one was the person who wrote me and he said, when I was in your position, I responded to every single inbound query <laughs> I got. And, uh, and cause I knew that one day I'd be in the opposite position. And I'm really proud of the fact that I did that. Oh. And only, only, you know, an ungrateful son of a bitch like you wouldn't respond to me or something like that. Right. 
And I thought to myself, wow, really? You responded to every single inbound cold call? No wonder you're not in that job anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What in God's name are you doing with your time? Anyway, so, but talk to me about this. Like when you're coaching people, and could you please coach more, by the way? (laughs) Can you get to more of these people? Um, But when you're coaching people, how do you talk to them about how to do those initial connections? How do, what does it mean to connect socially? You hit a very important point there because that's what spamming is all about, right? Like that's not being genuine. That's not being authentic in your connections. And it's just like spray and pray. Like they're just trying to reach out to 15,000 people, hoping one of them. Uh, it's it's not a good return on investment if you look at it because you're trying to, uh, one, you're spamming, you're wasting everyone's time. The right way to do it, and uh, I keep telling us, be authentic. Like, you know, take the, it doesn't take a lot because that's what smart tools do for you. And there's so much intelligence that you can get with the right kind of tools. But it's also having the patience and uh, the persistence to do it the right way. Because when you do it the right way, you see great results coming out of it. And when I talk of results, and I like it's the reason why you should not do it that way is pretty simple because I've seen so many case after cases where when you're providing value, it automatically gets you the kind of results you want. So when a when an investment advisor talks about uh, something new that's happening, a federal rate change, or something that would really resonate with their target audience, it will get the attention of their target audience, but without being salesy. Because you're providing value, you're being part of the conversation. And even being part of the conversation is not in a very salesy way, but you know, actually adding value to that whole conversation is how you stay top of mind. And that's what social selling is. It's, it's that complete effort of reaching out to the right kind of people, sharing stuff of value. Provide, it's an exchange. It cannot be a one-way street where just because I reached out, I expect you to give me a business in return. And then continuing the conversation through social and that it naturally progresses to, and sometimes it's just staying top of mind because when they need an investment advisor or an insurance broker, just because you've been in that space, you've been constantly sharing stuff, you're top of mind. And that's when they pick up the phone or call you or message you or, you know, ping you saying, Hey, you've got a minute to chat. And uh, we've heard so many stories like that where, just out of the blue, someone just responded or liked, or you engaged with somebody by liking their post, which has got nothing to do with, it could be a new cottage they bought or something, but just the fact that you engaged opens up doors of new conversations or new business. Well, I'm often surprised that people don't send more articles when they send these cold outreaches. <laughs> uh, part of the training that we do is sometimes even coaching on what kind of language to use or what kind of value you provide and the stuff that you can actually give your target customers. So it could be a white paper or it could be a consult, but not again, not coming across as someone just trying to reach out to as many people, but actually giving value in exchange and being authentic in the space that you are. And most times they are experts in their space because they've been in that space. They know what's the ins and out, what 
what's coming down the pipeline or uh, new regulations coming. And it's just talking about those things because that matters to your clients. Like I have an example of a real estate agent who actually got leads simply because he was talking about, he, he worked out a niche of investment properties and he started giving out tips and which just grew his follower base because people who are interested in investments in real estate just gravitated towards his content and he got so many new leads simply because he was doing the right thing in the right place. What other, what other techniques do people use in financial services? In financial services, one of the biggest benefits of doing social selling the right way is that uh, it helps them stay compliant because everyone makes mistakes on social and it's it's just having those guardrails in place so that you're not saying the wrong things or you're not overcommitting or you're not saying stuff like guaranteed returns or great return you no know, stuff which could put you or your organization at risk so from a financial institution standpoint um, it provides those kind of guardrails helps the employees stay compliant but uh, as well leverage the power and the potential of social media so that they can grow their business grow their books and actually help everyone it's a win-win financial services space they have seen social selling grow like i've seen a lot more banks opening up to it because earlier they would be very conservative and say hey no social you cannot do social media it's but now they've opened up to like our customers have moved to social why would you not talk to them in a space they are comfortable in and do it in a compliant manner without putting uh, your organization at risk and then there's been so many more extensions to this whole thing so not just individuals but uh, stores or branches can also leverage social selling to con- to connect with their community and that's such a value add that happens especially when with covid and pandemic times we've seen that you know when you don't have the traffic coming into your store how do you get out to your community or tell them what you're doing that's where social selling comes in really really handy so if you if you're sort of sitting down with a company who's not doing it right now and they're asking for you to detail the benefits do you have like hard numbers that you give them how do you convince them this is something they should make an investment in depending on which space or which um, kind of clientele it is but i i would say in very clear terms that like there are three very very big benefits that any organization can get one of it is decreasing costs because if you were to compare uh, social selling versus any of the other marketing efforts that you would need the costs are way way lower because imagine if you had to spend that kind of money in advertising or any other medium to reach that kind of audience the sheer amplification of your message is at at a fraction of the cost so that's the the cost lowering of the cost is one big benefit staying compliant or you only know the value of compliant tweet when you don't get sued or someone doesn't come after you saying you know uh, because of your social media post i ended up losing so much money or so the staying compliant is the second big benefit that i clearly show and then the generating of leads and new contacts and uh, i've had examples where we've tested out pilots for social selling in smaller groups and in like less than 6 months we were able to register almost 100 million dollars worth of new leads 
And these were very, very like a sandbox environment we created to test whether this thing actually works with people who were not comfortable using social at all, but just giving them the right tools and the right process, equipping them to open up to a new window, a lot more windows of opportunities. That's very cool. So how did you get into this? Like what, what was the journey that you went on to like, I mean, <laughs> not that it's, that was awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm not criticizing uh, either, by the way, just, but like, it's always, always fascinated by how people end up in certain areas and have certain passions. So what was your sort of journey of discovery? I'll tell you mine in a minute too, after you tell me yours. They're kind of accidental. No, that's the best kind. That's the best kind. Yeah. I was doing traditional advertising at Ogilvy and Mater for IBM and the world quickly. So when I started off, uh, if you look at the marketing budget, it would be 80, 80 to 85% traditional like TV, newspaper, radio. And uh, digital was just starting off. So we would have a few online and those banner ads, that was about all digital that we would do. But in less than three years, it completely shifted and the ratios moved from 85% online digital to just about 15% TV and radio, just namesake, uh, just having some ads happening. So that's that the light bulb moment went on for me where I realized that, you know, the world is moved on to digital. And so that's where I sharpened my expertise on the digital space, worked a lot on MasterCard and a lot of other brands. So I started off in the social media team uh, at Bank of Montreal. And in those early days, we were doing just the enterprise handles as in the company Facebook page or the company's LinkedIn page. And we realized that a lot of employees were on social. So we one, they were scared because they were always worried that they would put the bank at risk or they would say something. So they were very cautious. They were not using it the right way. And some who were doing it were doing it without the right kind of training. So there was all kinds of problems happening. And that's when we uh, took advantage of a program called For Social Selling where we could put everything in a well-documented, templated process where you were equipping the employees, you were empowering them to use the power of social and then reaping the benefits in so, so many different ways. That's cool. I mean, my story was um, is similar. It's not a complete accident, by the way. You sort, of, you sort of recognized an opportunity, right? And so I was at Microsoft and uh, was responsible for the B2B commercial business in the U.S. And there were these rumblings about this thing called social selling and uh, went to LinkedIn and they were rolling out Sales Navigator. So I, I wrote the first check for LinkedIn, which obviously worked out really well for them, but brought them in the, in the, in the, the boat, got Judson Altoff to sort of sponsor it and kind of get into it, got some teams using it, got some good early results. I think for me, a, a lot of it was how do you get organization-wide adoption? What I would do is I would go to the sales teams that were, there was always a innovation-oriented sales teams, like ones working on uh, Azure at the time and you know some of the earlier plays. And those always would be the most mavericky salespeople who would take the biggest risks. And you give them a new tool, they generally try it because they're, they're, they're willing to kind of go after anything. And then they would, they, they would tell someone and they would tell someone and then they would tell someone and it's spread like wildfire. I mean, the thing, great thing about salespeople is if you give them something that works, they're all in. Like you don't, you, it doesn't, you just need the right ones. We sometimes call them bell cows. 
You know, you put a bell on the cow in the lead and then the rest of the cows follow the bell. And if you can find those bell cows and give them, you know, service them like crazy, make sure that they're using it well, they will spread the word to the rest of the company before you know it. And you, we ended up probably struggling to keep up with demand as opposed to, you know, having to push it. You know, I was going back to Judson every couple of months and asking for another thousand seats. I mean, it was was something else. So, yeah. but that's, uh, but that, that to me, it was, uh, it's a little bit of, I've always felt that it was important to sort of keep your nose in the air and smell, smell the new season, right? You know, there's always something new coming in and then it doesn't always turn out like, you know, not everything turns into a thing, but a lot of the times it does. And so if you can get in there early, uh, it can be really powerful. And you got in there early, obviously, and it's been it's been an amazing career trajectory for you, too. So that's very cool. Well, this has been great. And uh, and hope hopefully people in the audience can think a little bit about social selling. If you're not doing it right now, you really should be. It's a little bit of a sort of sort of, sort of um, stepchild of advocacy kind of related, but not exactly the same thing. Uh, so, uh, advocacy, influencer marketing and social selling are all in the same camp, which is empowering broad swaths of your employee population, uh, to do part of the marketing job for you. It's extremely uh, powerful technique because you're leveraging networks. Uh, one of the things that was very cool at Microsoft, we, the, the number of sprinklers is a little different, but I, I can't release it. But at Microsoft, the number was public, which was of the 50,000 employees we had in the U.S., their connections equaled 65 million people in the U.S. That's right. And that's the power, right? Yeah. Right. So it's this amplification. Yeah. Like essentially, every business person in the U.S. you could get to through someone at Microsoft. And so that they, the, the power of that kind of network amplification is something people don't completely understand. Okay, Dennis, I get that. So now let's talk about extensions. What kind of extensions do we see to social selling when they want to go to the next step? Great question, Grad. Um, so a lot of companies, like when you spoke about, you have the early adopters, you have people who are really, who understand social, and then you have the, the slow ones who are very apprehensive about social. So uh, once you get a great program in place for employees, uh, another great extension to this is like if the company or the brand has branches or stores or locations, you could actually empower each location to be active on social. So instead of having just one Facebook page, you might end up having 1500 Facebook pages or uh, each store has its own presence, but then you're talking local, you're talking to your community. It's hyper-local in nature. And it's very powerful because now each branch is just talking up to their small footprint. It's extremely engaging. You know the kind of audience, you know, uh, it's it's like a neighborhood store, which, you know, you know everybody who is, but you're doing it all on social. And that's probably a great extension to a social selling program. It starts off with employees, but then you create individual profiles or extensions for your branch network or your store networks. But that's, again, this is like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that you can do, but uh, definitely worth considering having an extension for branches. Well, let's dive a little deeper. So, so I'm, I'm going to get a branch focus. I get that. But then how do you roll that out? What's the enablement program look like for that? So, so uh, 
what you would do is you would have um, each branch or each store having its own social media presence. So, uh, for example, you would have your Mississauga neighborhood um, bank branch would have its own branch Facebook page and a branch Twitter handle where it's talking about stuff that's happening in that community itself. So if there is an employee appreciation event happening, you use that because it's just for that small location. It doesn't consider it's not it doesn't make sense for the entire country to know what you're doing at that level. So, and then it's uh, empowering the branch employees to be actively uh, engaging through social on from the branches page or the stores, Facebook and LinkedIn page. You create advocates, you create fans, and you're able to do better customer service by having a social presence or your branches or your stores. And all done compliantly as well. I mean, I think that's part of the magic of it. That's right. You know, to making sure that there's a, you know, AI in there that'll detect off tone and regulatory compliance issues and make sure that those posts don't go through until they're reviewed by a team. So I think that's the thing that makes everyone help, you know, sort of sleep at night, which is I'm empowering my employees and I'm helping make sure they don't make mistakes because, you know, they're not doing it deliberately, obviously, either, you know, it's an accident or enthusiasm or whatever, but those, those enthusiastic accidents can have a lot of consequences. And so it's good to be able to step in front of them. Totally. And also the amplification piece of it, right? Like your message, instead of being just shared on one handle, now it can go across. Like you're using, you're creating one piece of content, but it has a lot more lives now because you're able to share it in different, and you can tweak it to meet each region's specific requirement. We, I had a very good example of how we actually used it, where there was a flood in Alberta, one of our branches, and it, the branch was doing a lot of good stuff to help the community. Like, you know, they were setting up tents, they were giving away food, water and stuff like that. And they wanted to reach out to the community and know that you've got help here. Uh, by having that branch presence, they were able to effectively get that message out. Imagine the missed opportunity if that was not there, like, you know, there was no way for the branch or the store to tell the community what they were offering. And that's when that's when we realized that, you know, there's so much power in having individual branches or stores also having a social media presence. Well, you know, one of the things that people don't realize, there's two things that people, I think, don't fully realize. One is that and this has been true for a number of years now, but your followers, very few of your followers even get your posts in their feed, let alone see it, like forget about seeing it. Right. But it's like, it's like half a percent now may even get the post in the feed. And then, you know, even a smaller percentage actually see it because they're actually reading their whole feed. That's just gotten sort of more exacerbated over the last few years. And the only way to get around it is to do paid advertising or what we're talking about right now, this, this leveraging of the existing networks is essentially a hack to create organic amplification that allows you to take a post that normally would you know, mostly fall on deaf ears to suddenly be amplified to thousands or uh, tens of thousands or more people. And I think that that is the hidden power of tools like this and also the influencer tools and advocacy tools. Those things are able to kind of get around those algorithmic issues that make it so difficult for a company to get any kind of presence on social platforms. Totally, totally. You hit it so well that that's exactly... Uh, and it's also the engagement that you would see. Like a post on an 
enterprise page, which concerns the whole country, may not get that kind of engagement uh, when that same thing is put across on a smaller footprint. But it's a much more engaged audience because they know everybody at the store. They know who they're dealing with. And, you know, you, you definitely see a bigger jump in uh, the engagement levels as well. Cool. So anything else to add here? I'm a, I'm a bank. I'm thinking about doing this. You know, kind of just, you know, just pretty good deep dive. You know, who, how many people do I need to implement the system like this? Am I looking at a large team? What's the training load look like? No. So that's, that's the beauty of it because you can do it with as little as one employee or you can, uh, it totally depends on each organization. And uh, these people are already, like this new generation has grown up on digital. They are already savvy. They are doing their own Facebook. So by giving them the right tool, you're actually uh, benefiting from their expertise. And um, personally, I've seen amazing levels of creativity coming in from the the branch level because they come in with fresh insights they come in with fresh ideas and it's the tiktok instagram generation which is they learned a few cool tricks and it and when they're doing it in a compliant manner it's all power to the uh, to the brand itself right so when you r- roll out a program like this you you're basically paying to have a branch presence which beats the algorithm without having to invest a lot in terms of training. And you just have all these uh, packages ready in a tool and you just roll it out to your teams who already are comfortable with social. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Dennis, thank you very much. This has been a fantastic session and a really deep dive in social selling. Uh, If people want to know more, do you have a a website or where should they go to learn more? So they can go to the classicpartnership.com. That's the best place to get hold of me. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Greg. Classicpartnership.com. Okay, good. So Dennis, thank you very much. So uh, for the Unified CXM Experience. I'm Grad Khan, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. My guest today has been Dennis Matthew. He's, the, he's a social media and digital marketing consultant for some of the leading financial services and technology firms in the world. And that's it for our show today. I will see you next time.